My guest today has been in business for over 30 years, and in many ways, she's just getting started. This is Dance Business Daily, a daily podcast where you can always find real talk with real studio owners, where we'll share best practices, success stories, and actionable insights so we can all get a little bit better together. I'm Bryce Conlon, and I'll be your guide. Welcome to the show, and let's get into it. Hey, welcome back to the Dance Business Daily. My name is Bryce Conlon. I'm your host. And today, my guest is Ginny Duro. She's a new friend of mine. She runs Ginny's Dance Works out of Brighton, Michigan. And I am so excited for the conversation we're about to have. Ginny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. All right, so uh, my pleasure. So can we dive right in and just tell me a little bit about your studio? Like what kind of styles? Who's your ideal kind of buyer and your student? And like, let's just go from there. Let's start right at the beginning. Well, um, my studio, I've been in business for 32 years, and I like to think that our specialty is really children's work. Um, so we start them at two, actually just two. They just have to be two by Christmas. Um, and we take them all the way up to high school. And then I do have an adult program as well. And we offer it that ballet, jazz, acrobatics. We have a small intensive team that does competitions. We have um, musical theater, lyrical, contemporary, leaps and turns point you know the the extracurricular activities too the classes but you know we have all our basics tap belly jazz and acro so yeah it's great i love it so 32 years that's <laughs> so you've, you've been around the block a minute uh and i'm always fascinated when i talk with studio owners who have been in you know kind of caught cross that three decade mark right because a lot right. has changed since 1990 right which is 30 years ago now, which also feels really crazy. Um, but yeah. a lot has changed in the world. A lot has changed in the studio business. I'm curious when, when you, well, how did you get into owning and operating your own studio? Let's, let's go there first. It was really kind of just fell in my lap, believe it or not. I was, uh, through college, I taught at the different dance studios and I was teaching at a ballet classes at a gymnastics gym. And and I went in and told the owner of that gym that I was graduating, moving to Brighton, and I was getting married. He said, I have a friend in Brighton. You should look her up. She's looking for a dance teacher, and she owned a gym. So they owned High Flyers Gymnastics. And I walked in and said, hey, I heard you needed a ballet teacher. And they said, eh, you want to just rent this room and open a dance studio? And I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> Hadn't thought about that. And so they literally, I got married, and two weeks later, while I was gone, these women had tore down the wall. I said, the room's kind of little. Can we take down the wall in the middle? And they took down the wall. I came back. They had ballet bars up. They had a mirror, one wall with mirrors and had like 50 kids for me signed up. And that's how it started. I, I actually have a criminal justice degree. was going to be a juvenile probation officer instead. And, you know, you just never know. You never do. I mm -hmm. love the twists and the turns, right? Like the life um, yeah. throws are away and you just, you follow your interest, you follow the moment and you never know where you're going to yeah. end up. I had always danced and I danced all through college. I minored in dance, but I thought, yeah, I'm not going to make, this isn't where I'm, I'm not going to make a living at this. This is just my hobby. I looked at it as my hobby and someday I'd have a job, a full-time day job. And I would teach dance somewhere at night at a dance studio a couple of days a week, you know, it was what I just was my passion. And so to be able to make it my life's career is even better. So that's how it happened. Yeah, and thirty in thirty-two years later, it's no longer yeah. a hobby, right? That's uh, right. I'd like to actually 
th this very topic comes up an awful lot on this show. And it's the making the mental shift from hobby to business um, regarding dance. Because again, most people like I came up not as a dancer, but as a musician. And it's a very similar switch for people who try to mm -hmm. go into mm -hmm. the music business because it is a business but it's a challenge because a lot of people just learn the guitar for fun or you know write music because they like it or take yeah. piano because mom and dad made them and so right. i'm always fascinated about that process that journey that you went on from this is a hobby this is fun this is something i enjoy doing to now it's a career was that a difficult transition for you to make yeah. Okay. Yes. So tell me about that. Like, why? Why was well, it? What was this? What was the, the it, struggle there? It was tough because you know I, I just loved what I was doing and I wanted to make it as affordable as possible for people. And you know, after my second recital, my husband said, "You have got to start charging for these and making money on your recital because I'm not paying the bill for this anymore." Because I would have this recital <laughs> and he would pay the bill for the recital, right? So it it really is something that I've had to like you know, I, I'm doing this, I'm doing, taking my time to do this. I deserve to be paid for this was a hard thing. You know, like back when I was a dance teacher, you know, in college, we didn't get paid to be at recital. That's just what you did. We didn't get paid to be at picture day. You know, I, I went to competitions with the kids for spent a whole weekend and never got paid. That's just what we did, you know? And now that I'm the business owner and I have employees, I'm like, okay, I'm asking them to spend their weekend with these kids. They need to be paid. They, you know, I'm expecting I'm expecting them to be at the recital. They're, sure, they want to be there, but they are there and they're working and they're working for me. So I've, you know, my mindset has had to change because, you know, and now like costumes, I used to do, they'd come in, I would sort through, count them all, I'd hang them all. I'm paying someone to do that now. I can't, there's no way I can do all that you know, I've just gotten so big. So I'm now I'm paying people to do that. You have, you have to account for that, that you have to have the money, the income to pay for those kinds of things. So yeah, it's definitely, and now with owning a building, you know, I, you know, you got to have money to replace the water softener and the hot water heater when they break. And, you know, you got to have that income. So yeah, I'm, I'm learning that. Yeah, it's definitely a business and you have to, I have to, ha and, and especially to, to grow the business, you have to have money to put back into the business, you know, so. So when was that? So it sounds like it was the recital and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like it was the recital um, conversation with your husband where he was like, hey, <laughs> like, I get that you're doing this, but like, if you're going to continue down this road, you're going to need to make a change. Right. And I loved mm -hmm. how you just broke it down for us. You kind of went, you, you stacked all the cards. It's like, okay, if I'm going to, expect my teachers to be at recital, then I need to pay my teachers. But if I'm going to pay my teachers to be there, then I need to charge my parents. And if I'm going to charge my parents, and you kind of work, walk it back to its most simple parts. When you had that moment, right. that moment of like, you have the conversation with your husband, you realize, okay, this is going to be what we need to do. We need to raise our rates. We need to charge for recital. We need to, you know, whatever. Yeah. What, how did you go about remedying, like practically, what did you do to, to make that change? Well, I, you know, I started with the costumes. Like I used to like, if the costume, you know, was $55, I would charge $55 to the kids. Well, you can't do that. You have to, there has to be this administration fee, this processing fee from, first of all, I take hours to order them. 
I'm paying somebody now to measure them, mm-hmm. you know, we size them, then, you know, so you ha- I had to start by doing that, adding to that. And then, you know, I was pretty much run September through, through June, did my resettle in June. And then I took the summers off because in the beginning, that's when I was having babies and have little kids, you know, and then my kids are home from school in the summertime. So I want to be home with them and we live on a lake. So I didn't want to be open in the summer, but since I built my building now, I, I, in order to get through the summer months to pay that mortgage, I have to be open. I can't be closed. We have to be running camps and stuff in the summertime. So, and that's just purely out of necessity yeah. because I have the bills to pay. It's so fascinating that things start like, yes. Like I, I just had this conversation yesterday, um, actually with my business partner to, to be completely, to, to be completely like uncomfortably transparent is we had uh, one of our clients asked us to do something and we could do it. It was within our purview, but there was no way for us to bill for the thing that we were asked asked to do. And so we had this conversation um, and we we're like, we always want to be helpful. We were like, yeah, sure, we'll do it. And then we got to the end of it and we're like, wait a minute, what's the message that we're sending? And the message is we don't value our time. Like that, that was Mm -hmm. the message is like, we're not, we did not in that moment, we do generally, but in that moment, we made a decision that reflects that we don't value our time saying yes to do something for free, like sorting costumes or taking measurements, Mm -hmm. right? Or in our case, like doing what we said, what we agreed to do. And by the way, we will do it because we believe in honoring our word and we're going to do it and it's fine. But there was a lesson in there and it's a difficult transition to make that, that mental flip from I'm doing this because I love it to this is a, this is a business opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, was that uncomfortable? Like raising rates and charging and billing? Yes. It's still, it's still, I still have a hard time with it. I, you know, I, I was at the dance teacher. Um, I belong to IDEA, uh, International Dance Entrepreneurs Association. We were mm-hmm. at the conference a few years ago and we there was in a business seminar class and I had several friends of mine from all over the country, one from Canada, one from Ohio, like they're from all over. And they sat down and said, we're doing an intervention. You need to raise your (laughs) rates and you need to do it today. You're going to get on your computer. You're going to change them right now before you leave this table. Cause I told them I haven't raised my years. Like what? You know, they were just like, I go, well, you know, I just, I, I want people to be able to take as many classes as they can. And they were like, no, you, you, you know, I, and they're right. I, when I sat down and really started looking at the numbers, like now I look back and I really should have majored in business if I had known what I was going to be doing with my life or have an accounting degree. Um, but, you know, I started putting down the numbers with, I actually went through and calculated, well, in my dance software program, it tells you this, but how much each student is paying for that class. And then you take your overhead expenses and which classes I was losing money on. Well, it was my competitive team big time mm. because I had a cap on my tuition. I just, their classes were just lumped in. And, and that's what my friends are like, you, you can't do it this way. Well, I tossed around the way they were doing it and the way I was doing it. And what I did was I just got rid of my cap and, and it's changed the way people register for sure. But I can now confidently pay my teachers for the competitive team rehearsals and know that I'm not cut taking money out of my own pocket to do it. But I, it was a big stretch, but I did it. And my team doubled in size this year. Look at that. So 
you know, I think, I think people, people know that prices have to go up. I mean, look, gas prices go up, Everything. you know, everything's going up. So it has to with us too, because, you know, everything's, you know, costumes are going up, everything's going up, you know? So, so let me ask you, because, because you've said this three or four times now, and it's something that I'm just hyper sensitive about when I talk with business owners, small business owners. And it's something that I think most, we all know and will nod our head to and be like, well, of course that makes perfect sense. But in action, we we don't. We don't value this thing. And, and that thing is, I know I'm talking around it. It's taking care of your team and your staff. And you've, you've, you've come back to that a few times now where you're like, this is critical. If I'm gonna ask you to give up your weekend, you'll be compensated. If I mm -hmm. remove the cap on my competition team, then I have more funds to make a better experience for my staff, which creates a better experience for now my students. Where did, where did that idea come from? Because again, we all know it. We're like, yeah, of course. But very few people actually, in my experience, take practical steps towards improving their kind of culture in their studio. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. where, like, it seems like that's supremely important to you. How it did that very... develop? Yeah, how did that develop? Um, I think, I think out of necessity. I, you know, when I first, I was obviously a, a one one person show. I had one studio, phone in the corner, you know. And then when I built my building, it was like. Oh my God, I, now I've got, I've got four teachers in the building at one time and then somebody in the office. And I was like, if someone eats their lunch on my desk one more time, I'm going to scream. Like I've got to have a place for my employees. So then I started to really step back and go, you know, how can I make this a place that they can call home? Like I wanted them to feel appreciated. I wanted them to feel a part. I wanted them to be able to take ownership in what we were doing. Like, I don't just go, this is what we're doing. We're going to, you know, we have staff meetings and I pay them for staff meetings. Now I didn't used to pay them years ago for staff meetings, but now I do. We have drinks. They all know that if we're having a staff meeting, there's going to be snacks and beer and wine. That's, you know, and we're going to have fun at it. So I just, I just, you know, I, I, growing up, I didn't get paid for any of that extra stuff. So I'm like, I expect them to do this and they want to do that. But I felt like, even if it's not a lot, if I pay them, that's my way of saying, I appreciate you doing this and being there, you know, even if, I'm, you know, cause let's face it for competition, they're there for hours and hours and hours. And I can't pay them their regular teacher hourly wage for a 13, 14 hour day. But even if it's, you know, a hundred bucks. And then I, when we go out to dinner at the end of the day, I pay for dinner, they feel appreciated. And then in turn, I get better staff for, you know, we're a better team. So, yeah, it does seem to, it, it matters. Like the small things really do matter. Um, mm -hmm. That's what I was going to ask is what has been the, the impact? Like when you started paying for staff meetings, when you started saying, hey, because um, this is this is how I tend to operate as well is if if we have a like a big team brainstorm and we're going to go out, we're going to talk about things and we're I'm going to it's maybe it's late in the day. Maybe it's just a hard meeting. Maybe it's been at the end of a hard week or a hard quarter or whatever and we sit down, it's like, we're going out and I'm picking up the tab, like order whatever you want. And it's on me. And it's such a small thing. It's like scope of things. It's not, it doesn't cost that mm -hmm. much. 
but it creates a massive, for me and my experience, a massive impact in people just saying, man, I, I really like being here. Did mm-hmm. you see that uptick? Like, was there a difference yes. between the before times and then like the after time when you started to make that shift? And, and what did you see like practically? Like what, what changed? Well, I, you know, they all, when, when you say, hey, we're, we're going out and I'm picking up the tab, they're all there. First of all, I get perfect attendance at that <laughs> stuff, right? Um, but I just, I just think that they all, they just, I think they feel important and therefore they act like they're important. You know what I mean? Like there's, right. there's ownership in it and it's a good team, but it's a good way to on for sure is to get together and, and when they actually... You know, I, I try not, I try to be, one thing I, I did was um, I read a book on uh, so, um, Michael Hyatt book on how to run efficient meetings. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I had a couple of teachers like, oh, you know, what are we, we going to talk about? And I'm like, and I, and I've been past, I'm past president of Mich- dance versus Michigan. We never ran a meeting without an agenda. I always did an agenda, but I never did for my staff meetings. I always, even for my parent meetings, I have this, I had a, my list that I was going to go by and I would check it off as I'm going through the meeting. And I'll tell you what, I, I had a, a teacher one time. I said, Oh, we'll come back to that. She goes, come back to what, what do you have in your hand? And so it's my agenda. And she went, Oh, so now I, I have an agenda. They, they get it before the meeting. I email it to everybody did it with my parents too. So that everyone knows this, this is what we're going to talk about. And if and there's a thing at the bottom, anything else you want to add, if you want to add stuff, but I find that that has helped my staff meetings roll smoother because they can see what we're going to talk about. And it just keeps us on track. Cause I have, I have some that we get in there and we get talking and I mean, I've t- teachers been with me over 20 years. So we get together, it's like a party, you know? And so <laughs> I have to keep us on track. And so giving them an agenda helps me do that even better. Well, that's what and, drinks are for after, after the yeah, meeting. To, after the, the meeting. Yeah. No, I, if you haven't, if you've never heard of Michael Hyatt before, he really, he really truly is just an amazing, I think business thinker is the right mm-hmm, way to mm-hmm. kind of think about him. He's all about uh, changing the mindsets that you hold yep. and have so that you can create different, different in your business. Um, and he really is a quite a wonderful guy. I don't know him personally. Michael, if you're listening, let's be friends. Um, no, uh, l- the last thing that I want to ask you, because if you can believe it, we're already at the end of our time. It's shocking how quickly this goes by. Yeah. Um, it seems to me that you really trust the people on your team. And trust is increasingly hard to come by. Mm-hmm. Where does trust begin? Like if, if you've got folks on your staff and they're just instructors and, and studio owners are listening to this, and they're like, man, I want that. Like, I want... I want a, that kind of relationship with my instructors where they're hanging with me for 20 years, where, where I can trust them with aspects of my business. I can trust that if something happens in the class, they're going to handle it appropriately, like in, in accordance with how I would kind of do it. Where does trust start? Um, I, I would say that it's, it's, well, it starts with making sure that my expectations are clear. I have to be very clear with what my expectations are and they have to have the same moral standards that I do, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it, they have, they have to, 
I feel like I always say, I always tell people, it doesn't matter who your teacher is because if they're at my studio and you like me, you're going to like all my teachers. You know, I don't hire anyone that's not similar or teaches. They don't, and I'm not saying that they all teach the same way, but we all have the, the same end goal. You know, we're not just raising dancers. We're, we're raising nice little humans. Like I want to have children that go out into the world and, and are nice people and do great things. And so when you don't, when you have a, a faculty person that you just don't trust, you know what in your gut. I, one time I said to my husband, I said, I, he goes, what are you doing? Going in there on a Saturday. I said, I have to. He goes, why? He goes, just don't trust my staff right now. And he went, whoa, in 28 years, you've never, ever said that. Figure out your problem and fix it. And I'm like, he's right. He's right. And so anyway, I did. We did that. And, and all is good. And, but you do have to know that when you're not in that building, that everything's going to be handled correctly. And I'm, and I do, I feel that way a hundred percent, but I also am very transparent. I, I, they know, all know exactly. I think they all know, you know, some of them say, I say to myself, what would Miss Ginny do? <laughs> and they know, they know the answer, you know, I, cause I have some, some of my teachers have grown up with me and that's what they're, they're like, well, what would Miss Ginny do? And they know exactly what I would do and they're going to handle it the right way. So I don't have to worry about that, you know? Um, so it's, it, it's a good peace of mind for me to have, you know, cause I, I like to vacation, <laughs> you know, we're going to Key West in December. We're going to Belize in April. I, you know, I, I, I have to have that time to just decompress and, and, you know, relax yeah. and come back and be fresh. Well, as somebody who's not taken a vacation since the beginning of this pandemic, I'm a supremely envious. I don't mind telling you that and B uh, I do, I do get that, but uh, there's so many more things, honestly, that I'd like to talk to you about. Like this, again, like going deeper on this idea of values and hiring people who share the same, basically the same values as you. Mm -hmm. um, you've mentioned your husband several times as, and you haven't used this language, but it's clear that he's a business partner to you in this. Like he's there, he's Actually, a sounding he's board. He, he's, he is kind of my sounding board, but. The only thing, I mean, when it comes to the business that he helps me with is he's my MC for my recital. That's it. Well, yeah. So maybe he's not involved <laughs> in the business, but what I mean yeah. is like the fact that he's paying attention, he's supporting the vision, he's supporting the dream. Yeah. He's helping you to say, it's fine if you want to do recitals, but we've got like, he, he's, he's, he's pushing you to grow, I guess is, is what it is. Mm -hmm. Make those changes yeah. that you know you need to make, uh, providing that accountability. You've You've mm -hmm. built your own building, which we didn't even touch on today, which is fascinating. So you are welcome back if you'd ever like to come back and yeah. talk. Yeah. About and when it came to the building, he was very supportive of that. And and That's it was amazing. funny. We, we went to the closing and he's like, I'm like signing paper after paper after paper. And, the, and I, he's like, and the banker finally goes, did you wonder why you had to, Mike? And he goes, yeah, I'm starting to wonder. I haven't signed anything yet. And he goes, you have to sign this one paper that says, if she doesn't pay, you will. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you know he is in it all the way yeah yeah it's really interesting well i would love to have you back uh at any point but Ginny, if for folks who want to know more about you if they're ever in kind of the brighton area if they're ever want to pop in um, first of all is that okay <laughs> like oh, are you absolutely. open to people reaching out absolutely i love to have fellow dance teachers step in and visit me awesome so how how can folks get out get a hold of you what's the best what's the best way to find um, more about your your studio 
Well, I, the website is jinniesdanceworks.com and the email is jinniesdanceworks at gmail.com. And it's spelled G-I, G-I-N-N-Y. Easy enough, right? Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jenny, I just want to say, uh, I want to say thanks for taking some time to, to be here. It really, I, I, my takeaways are that you are a firm but fair boss. And I really appreciate um, just everything that you've brought forward to the table today. Very clearly, you are building a business, building a business that is based on integrity values. And, um, and like you said, raising little people, like recognizing that dance is just the vehicle, but really where mm -hmm. you're in the people development business. And I absolutely love that. And I just want to say thank you for, for sharing that with me today. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was fun. All right. Well, if you like what you heard today, don't hesitate to reach out and subscribe. You can follow us, of course, on Facebook under the Dance Motion Marketing tab. We are on YouTube. Just Google Dance Business Daily and you will find this. And of course, subscribe wherever you get your audio podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or really all the other ones. There's so many these days, too many to list. But we're there and we'd love to keep you in the loop and keep bringing great ideas from dance studio owners just like you. Chat soon.